Well, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Psalms 21. Psalms 21, I hope you've went to our website and got the sermon notes and everything there before you and your Bibles are open. As you do all of that, let's remember Psalms 20 was last week. Uh, they were about to go into battle, and, and so David gathered the people of God, and they prayed. And then they went into battle, and the battle has been fought at this point. And Psalms 21 is the response of that. So let's look at God's word together. Psalms 21, this is a psalm of David. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exults. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You have set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you and you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not secede. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Let's pray. Pray with me. Lord, we come to you. This is your word. And Lord, we acknowledge, as David did, that not only have we fought great battles, there is still battles to be fought, and yet there is a time coming when war and battle will cease. Comfort your people today in the victory that you have given us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh God, put the keys to understand this passage in our minds and in our hearts. Allow us not only to see what David is going through and has went through and the victory that he is celebrating, but the victory that we have, the victory that we have been given, and the victory celebration that is before us. Speak to your people. Comfort us. Gather us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. And so... And you know this, we don't have to make this case. Every struggle, every, if you would call it, life-altering event, whether good or bad in our life, comes with a particular context. It comes with a surrounding, and there are people involved, both, both our friends and our enemies. Whether it's a marriage of being made one with somebody and all the celebration that comes, or whether it's the loss of that spouse. We have 
these events come in our life and so does David and so does everyone and to some degree we can understand that every season of life comes with a battle to fight this is our normal life we understand though I hope you do but it is in this very context that we may get distracted from the battle from the mission that God has given his people we can begin to fight each other and get distracted to the very mission God has called us. So there's a question that's really important as we start our time together. Could it be that present struggling is preparation for future mission? I think it is. I think our lives should bear witness to that. There is very two important keys. If I had my keys, I'd pull them out. Two important keys to understanding this psalm today. One is the key of the immediate context, just like yours and ours. Our life has a context, and this psalm does as well. But there's also another key, the gospel key, and I'm going to use those, both of those keys as the text unfolds today. A Puritan Richard Sibb says it this way, There can be no victory where there is no combat. There is a battle to fight. There is a victory that has been won, but we are still in the battle, aren't we? And so this psalm is broken up into verses 1 to 7 and 8 to 12. 1 to 7, it's basically just a summary. The king rejoices and he will not be moved. And along with that, verses 8 to 12, the enemy is destroyed and he cannot secede. Both of these go together. You see, if there is a victor, there is a loser. And this psalm gives us both a something to celebrate and a sobering reality of that which is to come. There is a victory celebration. The battle has been won here. Uh, the reoccurring word throughout this psalm is the word deliverance. There is a victory. And they are at the, just the beginning of a celebration. Notice this. This is what you and I long for. And notice this in the text. Psalm 20, before the battle, God's people gathered. After the battle, what's happening? God's people are gathered. This is all through Scripture. God's people alone together together. The main point today, the people of the Lord express present thanksgiving and future confidence because of the victory. The victory belongs to the Lord. Two things then, two points. There's a thanksgiving going on, and it's a present thanksgiving, but there's also a future confidence. Let's look at the first one. The people of the Lord express present thanksgiving because the victory belongs to the Lord. You see, if the battle belongs to the Lord, so does the victory. We cannot say the battle is, is to be fought and God must fight this battle for us and then we give ourselves the glory for the victory. No, no. The victory belongs to the Lord and David wants to remind himself and the people of that today. This is a particular battle that was fought. We don't know which one. The psalmist does this oftentimes intentionally because this was also a song of the people of God that would be used over and over again into the, the other battles that was to come in their life, both physical and spiritual. So we don't know the battle. We know there, there was a battle and the victory had been won. Psalms 20, look at verse 9. That was the ending, summarizing that whole this whole, uh, chapter 20, Lord save the king. That was the plea. And Psalm 21 is this. The king is victorious. 
And remember, if the king is victorious, so is the people. If the king would have lost, so would the people. And so you want to see here in this first seven verses the king's joy. He is joyful. He is joyful not in his strength and not in his salvation. Look at verse 1. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how he greatly exults. And so just a little grammar here. The king is speaking in the third person. So he's speaking of himself, but he's speaking in third person, or maybe he has given this to someone else to speak it for him on his behalf. But this is the king's heart we are hearing. Psalm 68, 28 says this, Summon your power, O God, the power, O God, by which you have worked for us. It's God's power. It's his strength and his salvation. Remember, salvation's victory. Salvation means that you've been delivered from the hands of their enemies. This word exult means to rejoice. <laughs> but sometimes, I don't know, maybe especially us as, as old Baptists, we get a little stiff. This word is anything but a, but a you know, let us rejoice. You know, let me be glad enough. No, no, this is, means to leap. It's either one of two extremes. It is to be brought to a place of dancing, leaping, or trembling. The Lord's strength and salvation can have both effects on his people. And this is what they are doing. You see, the victories in your life, the victories in David's life are evidence of God's strength. Remember, they have already prayed for this in verse 7 8. They've already declared this. Do you remember chapter 20, verse 7? Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. We do not trust in our own strength for our salvation. That's what he's saying. And so after this, now we see that God's strength and God's salvation has worked for them. It is the evidence of God's love and power. The victory is. But I want you to see today, this is where we're going to spend a good bit of our time, that victories are grace. The victories in our life, the small ones. If you are here today and you've been struggling against addiction and you've been clean for a week, it's a victory. We struggle, even the battle in the sin of our own flex, and when we gain the victories, we celebrate that victory, but we do not celebrate it in our own strength. He has given us the victory. Victories are grace. You remember chapter 20, verse 3? They had said, Lord, regard with, and show grace to, your da to David because of his dedication and his commitment to you. And God has answered that. I want you to see the king's grace. And it is a twofold grace through these verses, that of abundant grace and abiding presence. There is abundant grace. It is all through here. And we're just going to fly through here. Just for, I want you to see him. I want you to see the grace of victory. He had a desire in chapter 20, and it is fulfilled in chapter 21 after the battle. Verse 2, you have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. His battle plans have succeeded. He has fulfilled them. We see the grace of glory in verse 3. You meet him with rich blessings. You have set a crown of fine gold upon his head. This is good here. You get, this is the key of present context here to understand what he's saying. Remember, this is a poem. This is a song. Every line is meant to help you understand to a greater degree. You see the rich blessings in verse 3? 
It's expanded in the second line. A crown of fine gold set upon his head. The king owes his kingship to God. But there's another picture here of David after the battle taking off his warrior's helmet and putting on a crown. And listen, this is the crown of the enemy. This was the context, you see. When the battle was fought and the king was defeated, the the king that won the battle would take the crown off of the defeated head and he would put it on his own head and he would walk toward his city and the people would come out. The celebration would begin because the king has been victorious. This is how he has blessed the king with the victory, with the crown of his enemy on his head. This is God's grace. This is abundant grace. But this is also covenant grace. This abundant grace is a covenant grace. Look at verse 4. He asked life of you and you gave it to him. Now but look at the second line of verse 4. Length of days forever and ever. That is, that is pointing you in two directions there, David is with this. He is not simply saying that God has spared my life in the battle, and he is. He is looking backwards and he is looking forward. You see that forever and ever. What does he mean? Brothers and sisters, understanding this in this text is key to wringing out the goodness of every psalm that you will ever read. So turn with me. I want you to see back to 2 Samuel. You want to mark that text because we're going to come back here again in a minute. 2 Samuel 7. As you turn there and find your place, let me just give you the context. The battles had begun to cease as David had fought many battles. And David sits in a a house, a nice place, and he looks and God's dwelling place is in a tent. And he, he tells Nathan the prophet, I want to build God a house. Why am I in such a nice place? And God's dwelling place is a tent. And Nathan says, man, I think that's a good idea. You just need to go at that. God's gonna, God's with you. And do you remember later on, the Lord spoke to Nathan and he said, you need to go tell David a message. The message was, did I ask you to build me a house? Did, did I tell the judges to build me a house? No. You almost think this is a correction. And it, it is to some degree, but what God does here in His grace, look at verse 16. He's, he says, you tell this to David. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. You see the two forevers? This is the Davidic promise, the Davidic covenant. This is the anchor of David's soul in the midst of any battle he ever fought. This was it. This was what he looked back to. And make no mistake, brothers and sisters, When Matthew wrote his gospel, he said this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. The promise has been fulfilled that he gave David. David looked back to a promise and he looked forward to its fulfillment. God made a promise. He cannot lie. The song Cornerstone says it this way. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. And every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. This is the question for you today and for me. Where is your anchor in times of distress? What is it? Because make no mistake, 
It is somewhere today. And for David, it was in the very promises of God. This is the covenant promises. The covenant promises, you see, look at verse 6 now, back to chapter 21, come with covenant blessings. For you make him most blessed forever. There's our word again, forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. See, now we're getting somewhere. Now, now we see it's not only abundant grace, but it's also this abiding presence. You see, wherever God's presence, his blessings follow him. You remember the story of Joseph? Situation at times couldn't get any worse, but you know what you keep running into in that story? Because God's presence was with Joseph, God always blessed him wherever he went. He provided for him. He took care of him. His blessings flowed. This is what David is saying. But at the same time, notice these words forever in here. David is looking forward. This is a, we will experience a partial enjoyment in this life, but it looks to a future age, a time where we will enjoy God's presence. But make no mistake, you do not truly long for heaven if you do not truly long for God's presence now. This is what David longed for. Can I pick up my gospel key for a minute? Because you see, this was the victory for David. The reward of his victory was not the crown. The reward of victory was God, His presence. Do you remember Jesus having fought the battle for us? He was headed towards the cross. Remember the high priestly prayer, John 17? What was his reward? Many places that we could look. But just listen to John 17. Verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. The reward for the work of Christ on our behalf was the abiding presence of his Father. How about you today? Let me read something to you. Revelation 21, verse 3. This, is, this should be the anchor of our soul. Here's what's coming for us as believers. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This, brothers and sisters, is the reward for David, for Christ, and for us. It's God's abiding presence in our life now and to a greater degree to come. As I thought about this, I remembered the death of my uncle. His name was Jim Collette. He died in 1997. He was a preacher of the gospel. I was 23. I had to do the math. I think my math is right. It's, it's close. No, I was 26. It's 23 years ago. Me and Christina hadn't been married very long when my, my uncle passed away, and we gathered for his funeral and this funeral affected me so greatly, probably because where I was at in my own life spiritually. The funeral was a celebration. As his kids and his wife got up on stage and just began to sing, they were celebrating. I'll be honest with you, it was a little confusing, but it was a good confusing. Because you see, 
Listen, this is important. At the moment that family was worshiping, in the midst of their suffering, that was my grace, you see. Because it made me wonder, how can they celebrate so? Do they have an anchor of their soul that's different from the anchor of mine? At that moment, their real life suffering was producing for me an eternal weight of glory. You see, present suffering is preparation. And it could be a preparation for someone else. This is the victory. You see, we celebrate it not just then. We celebrate it now. That because Christ has won, the victory is ours. The king understands this. And so the king responds in verse 7. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. He's pointing you there again. Do you see that? The king trusts in the Lord. Okay, that's the first line of verse 7. What's the second line? This is helpful. Here's what he's trusting in. He's trusting in the steadfast love of the Most High. Do you see that? That's the reason that David's not going to be moved. It's not from his own strength. It's not from his own salvation. It's not from the own promises he makes his people. It's from the one who's made him a promise that can't be moved. If you still got 2 Samuel 7, flip back there. I want you to see God makes David a promise. David hears this promise and David responds in worship. Look at verse 28, 2 Samuel 7, verse 28. And now, O Lord, you are God and your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Verse 29. Now therefore may it please you to bless the house of your servant so we may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord, have spoken and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Every psalm David would write, every battle he fought as he encouraged God's people to worship. He encouraged them not with something in himself but in the very promises of a God who cannot change and will not move. This is David's response to the abundant grace of God, to the promise of God's abiding presence. It is a strong resolve to trust him and to lead a people to trust him. God does not give us promises to prevent the battles in our lives. He gives us promises to give us a correct posture for the battle and after the battle. A posture of war and the battle that God calls us to fight. And then a time of celebration after the battle that it is God who provided the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. I love John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. Listen to this quote. You don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world. But you do have to know a few great things that matter, perhaps just one, and then be willing to live for them and die for them. The people that make a durable difference in the world are not the people who have mastered many things, but who have been mastered by one great thing. David was mastered by the unchanging promises of his God. He was committed to the glory of God and the work of God. And so must we be. For you see, the 
people of the Lord express not only present thanksgiving, but also future confidence. Future confidence. You can already see that, haven't you? Even in the first seven verses, the future confidence. But you see it even great. But you see there's a little bit of a sobering tone in the last of the psalm. In verse 8 to 12. There's a lot we could say here. I just want to make a couple of points. The future, you see, includes both victory and defeat. Our victory means defeat for, for another. And God's right hand is going to bring it. Matter of fact, look at verse 8. You get this building picture. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. And so what David is expressing is his future confidence as it were when he builds this that both hands of God are going to be directed towards the enemy of God. Notice they're God's enemies. They're enemies of Yahweh's. There are those who, who hate Yahweh. Both hands come to bear to fight for God's people. Remember, we've said that. You cannot be against God's people or the king and not be against God. For God's king represents the people. He also represented the Lord. And to come against him was to come against the Lord. And what this is, is a picture of inescapable wrath that is coming in the future. That's what he is saying. Look at verse 9. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and fire will consume them. And brothers and sisters, lest we think that this is just some kind of Old Testament thing. Malachi 4, looking toward the future of a future day, says this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. That day is coming. And David looked forward with confidence to that day, that God will not only win the present battles, but He will win the final one. So who's the enemy? It's important when you, when, you, when you hear this sort of sobering message that the victory for God's people means the defeat for an enemy. Well, who's the enemy? Well, we see what the enemy is doing in verse 11 and 12. It says, though they plan evil against you, though they de devise mischief, they will not succeed. Verse 12, you've got to put them these two together. For you will put them to flight. You will aim fate at their faces, your Bows. And so we see these enemy are planning evil and mischief against God. What he's pointing at there is people who refuse to submit to the rule of the king. They hate kingship. They hate lordship. They hate words like sovereignty. They hate it for someone to tell them what they are supposed to do, leastwise a God. These are the very Enemies, those who de devise a mischief against the Lord and his people. This is a sobering word that is in both the old and the new. Second Thessalonians says this, that the Lord is coming. And he's going to bring relief to his children when he does. Second Thessalonians 1, 
And verse 7 says this, When the Lord comes, He will grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and the, who, who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. You see the language same language in the New Testament as in the Old. The Lord has given us the battle. What is the battle, brothers and sisters? I want you to see the soberness of this psalm so that you understand the battle. The battle, brothers and sisters, are for the souls of men. It is not a battle that we fight each other. There is a victory coming, and when this victory comes, it means defeat for people. The battle is our battle to fight. The Lord is our warrior, and Jesus is his name. So what today? A lot we could say in relationship to these two realities. Look at your question there on your notes. What will be our response to that which affects our joy in God's glory? What I'm really asking there is will we make war on that which affects our joy and our glory? And no, they are not mutually exclusive. They are connected. God created everything. And God's ultimate glory brings us the maximum joy. And so it is a fight for that. But this is our constant battle, brothers and sisters. So let us make sure we understand the enemy here. Lest I be misunderstood. 1 John 2 verse 15 says this. Do not love the world or nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, for all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Our constant battle, brothers and sisters, is with three things. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And the Bible describes this i would recommend for our growth groups look at ephesians 2 and ephesians 6 and talk about these things in your growth growth groups this coming up week vody balkum describes it this way that without christ that the that the a person is hemmed in on every side by these three things now don't think he's talking about the world as if creation is bad this is, we just got through singing that. This is our Father's world. He created everything. This world is good, but this world's system is broken. The world's system is against the Lordship of Christ. The world's system says we will win the battle of coronavirus all by ourselves without God. The Lord's people would not think of fighting any battle because the battle is the Lord's. And if the battle is the Lord's, the victory from the battle is His too. It's His glory. It's His praise. That's what we will do when we gather back together again. But the unbeliever is hemmed in on every side by a world system that is against God's lordship, by a flesh that is against lordship and loves their sin, and by the devil who seeks to devour them. Ephesians 2 says this. It should bring us both to 
thanksgiving, and also to mission. It says, remember, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You followed the path of your flesh. You followed the prince of the power of the air, and you loved it. The Bible says that you were not sinking, you were not drowning, you were not sick, you were dead. There's nothing you could do about it. Do you remember that day? What does the text say? But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. This, brothers and sisters, is our victory. We've been given this. We were dead. And we've been brought to life. We've experienced these covenant promises that God has brought us into His family and He will never fail us. He will never lose us. He will never drop us. We believe it just like David did. But there are those who do not believe. They're in this fallen world. They're following their flesh. The devil seeks to devour them and he has called us right now to put on our helmets and to strap on our belts and to put on our shoes and to fight for the souls of men. Our present thanksgiving is our future confidence is both wonderful and it is sobering because when the Lord comes, there will be no more time for evangelism. Today is the day that if you do not know Christ, to repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Today is the day, brothers and sisters, to understand faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel that we have been given. It is our victory song. Ephesians 6.12 says this, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities and against consummate powers. It's present darkness against spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ is in the heavenly places. And so today, brothers and sisters, I just want you to understand these two keys. David fought an actual battle. Before he fought, he gave that battle to the Lord. And, David, and the Lord fought that battle for David. And the Lord gave him victory. And he gathered together and he gave thanksgiving for the Lord. For not only being with him before the battle, but during the battle. And to give him a confidence for that which lies ahead. Jesus Christ is our champion. He is the one who came and lived a perfect life. And died atoning death for you and for me. And rose again and has risen and sits on the right hand of the majesty on high. And he has told us, brothers and sisters, that he is coming. And when he's coming, it will absolutely be wonderful and absolutely horrible for those who don't believe. And so we put our future confidence in him. But brothers and sisters, it is not time to put on the crown. It is time to put on the helmet and to fight with the strength that God gives. So how will we respond today? Well, we're going to do it in just a minute. Verse 13 says this. And this is the way it ends. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. 
I just want to close with this. This is the end of this story and this life. Beginning of the other one, Revelation 19. Verse 11 says this. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, are following with him on white horses, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Brothers and sisters, Christ has come. The work is finished, and he is coming. Let us be ready. Let's pray. Lord, your victory is a wonderful victory, and yet we have this picture that it is a sobering victory. It is a victory that is meant to not only bring us to thanksgiving, but to equip us for the mission you have called us to. And so I pray for your people today that we are not at home with a peacetime mindset, that we understand that there are people in desperate need for the good news of the gospel that you have given to us, that though we are dead, there is one who can make us alive. There is one that is our Sabbath. He is our rest. And no one can take this rest from us. And so, Lord... Not only comfort your people, but stir up your people. Stir us up to worship. Stir us up. Gather us again, Lord, to equip us with the mission of God. Oh God, that we would join you in what you are doing. That we would gather the saints and equip the saints that we may reflect your Son and in reflecting Him enjoy you now and forever. Now, Lord, we pray that you would receive our worship as we sing and as we give and as we live the life that you've called us to. Oh, God, give us a burden for our neighbors and our nations. Let us, Lord, be mastered by the one great thing, that you are our Lord and our God, and you deserve the glory of all peoples. And Lord, now, we give that glory to you in worship. We pray this in Jesus' name, our champion, our brother, and our Lord. His name is Jesus. Amen.